0: Hello and welcome to a special year end episode of the CG business advisor brought to you by CG tax audit and advisory. I want to thank each and every one of you for following along and listening to our podcast each and every month, as we look forward to continuing to provide you with excellent business and tax related content. Over the past year, we've had several episodes that tackle the most important business topics. Some were more well-received than others. And on this special year-end episode, we'd like to highlight the top episodes of 2023. First off, the most listened-to episode was early in the year when we welcomed the newest members to the CG team, Fred LaMarca and Jeff Potter. Fred specializes in tax planning and financial consulting for clients in professional services, staffing, and real estate, while Jeff focuses on accounting and financial consulting for the construction, real estate, and restaurant industries. The conversation focused on the recent merger of Potter and Lamarca with the CG team, with an emphasis on the importance of cultural alignment between the firms. You can listen to that episode from February and all of our episodes by following the CG Business Advisor on your podcast app or listen on our website, cgteam.com. Just click on podcasts. In April, Tina Larson, the co-founder and owner of the Folsom Group, a business consultant for the New York City Co-op and Condo Boards, joined the show. Tina discussed her background in the financial service industry and how a personal experience with her co-op led her to start the Folsom Group. The Folsom Group provides services to co-op and condo boards, helping them run their buildings like a business by focusing on cost management, energy efficiency, and changing property managers. Let's listen into my conversation with Tina. Tina, thank you so much for joining us here on the CG Business Advisor.
1: Thank you so much, Scott, for having me.
0: I want to start a little bit with your background. So before the Falson Group was even an idea in your mind, you were in the financial service industry, is that correct?
1: That's correct.
0: <laughs> what were you doing?
1: So I, was a, I invested my clients' money as a financial advisor, and I was also a business analyst. So I analyzed multi-billion-dollar companies for the purpose of investing our client's money.
0: Mm, and so you did that for over a decade and then you started the Folsom Group. So what inspired you to create the Folsom Group? Why did you decide to make a change?
1: And <laughs> that's a fun one, right? And, and it's always a fun one. So it was actually by accident. As
0: <laughs> they always are, happens. right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> always are, always are.
1: Yeah, so what happened was that we owned a co-op which is a it's uh, New York, they're co-ops, but if it's condo, co-op or HOA, it doesn't matter to us. Uh, We owned an apartment and for the 10th year in a row, they sent a letter saying that they were increasing the maintenance again for five years. No, for 5% for the 10th year in a row. And we thought to ourselves, this doesn't make sense. They're saying that these are nonprofits That means that all the expenses, all the service providers are increasing their fees by 5%. So it didn't make sense to us because it was a non-inflationary period at the time. This is about 10 years, 13, 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. So we spoke with some of our neighbors and they felt the same way. So what we did was that we all got together and we held a coup and took over the co-op board.
0: And I like
1: that. <laughs> yes, it was very exciting. And so we succeeded. I'm not actually on the board. My husband is because you can only be one for me to apartment. And what happened was that because of my analytical background, the new board asked me if I could head the finance committee and if I could see if I can find some savings for them. So the only thing that I knew to do that was from my finance background I knew that you have to get benchmarked you have to compare it to something else so I went out and I pretended to be a buyer so that I could collect financial statements for other buildings and once I had enough data the new board made some phone calls we eliminated some services we renegotiated some services and in the first three years we were able to save our own building $340,000. Wow. Yes, it's a big number. It's a $3 million budget. So it's a very significant savings. And in that, during those three years, we learned a lot about the industry and the property manager's role and the board's role and the, uh, the, the board's lack of understanding of buildings. Not always, but sometimes. So we realized that there was really someone who needed to do what we did and then you know how you go to a networking event and everybody and you just and i'm saying this sar- sarcastically you know how everybody wants to meet another insurance broker or mm-hmm. another mm-hmm. financial advisor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So instead of introducing myself as a financial advisor, when I was networking, I started introducing myself as I helped my board save $340,000 and they all went like, oh, can I introduce you to my board? Yes. (laughs) So that's how it started. (laughs) Long story, but that's Uh, how it started.
0: Well, that's great. And so uh, the Folsom Group was born. And so then how did you then build this business and grow it and attract more clients? Because this really, this really was an industry that didn't exist.
1: That's correct. Yeah. Now the industry didn't exist there. And when it comes to that, the industry doesn't exist. I mean, that's every single other industry, they have, a, they have consultants to help them with various, to grow their revenue, to reduce their expenses, to do whatever they need to do in this particular industry. There are no consultants who do what we do. We take a holistic approach. There are energy consultants who reduce their heating and electricity use and maybe insulate the building, et cetera. But there's no consultants that take a holistic approach like we do. So the way that we did it is word of mouth. We networked a lot. Um, we have now since the day since day one, we network so much more than anybody else I know. And I belong to a BNI group initially, and my husband, who's my business partner, belongs to another BNI group. So we met with over 100 people every single week. We joined a social club. We were, I read this book called, um, "With uh, about being omnipresent, that you have to be everywhere all the time. And Hmm. I live by it. So a lot of networking. So it was all word of mouth. But. During the pandemic, the first thing that I did was hire a business coach, who then told me that I needed to be more active on LinkedIn. So I hired a LinkedIn coach, and all of that has three years in the making has uh, really created a lot of uh, online,
0: uh, uh, an online presence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that. fantastic yeah that that's that's incredible um as far as your inspiration while growing this business or even starting this business, anyone in particular that inspired you along your journey? well,
1: I have so I have met so many amazing people networking, so there are so many people that inspire me. <laughs> but I mean, I can name many my coaches, my mentors my LinkedIn following, my uh, my entire network. And very often inspiration comes not only from, the, you know, some famous Tony Robbins, who is, of course, also an inspiration, but mm-hmm. it's, or Sarah Blakely is an inspiration, but it really comes from people that I meet on an everyday basis. So maybe not necessarily famous people, uh, and many who are not on to, to be unnamed, but they inspire me every day.
0: Would that be one of the tips that you would give to any uh, aspiring entrepreneurs out there that are maybe in the early stages of growing their business or even in before that? Maybe they're just in the thought process stage and they want to start a business. Would that be one of the biggest tips that you would give is to get out there and to network and to maybe hire coaches and 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 get a mentor things like that
1: absolutely i was very lucky i had a very good mentor when i was in finance so i've had a mentor since 1996 but the mentors also change based on your needs so it just happens that the last three years i worked very closely with my inspiration my coaches uh, who inspire me every day but yeah absolutely network number one have to network networking is you gotta network i mean that's how you build relationships that's how you get to know people and that's how you know how to help people and how to be valuable to people you learn from them they you hear other uh, entrepreneurial stories and it's yeah networking is probably number one number two is coaches surround yourself by people who really know what they're doing they've Mm -hmm. been there done that another thing i mean i also always try to be in in a room full of people who are much smarter than me so that's (laughs) another thing that yes yeah yeah
0: I, i like that you can learn a lot from people of course um, I want to talk specifically now about the services that you provide to co-op and condo boards to help them treat their buildings like a business. So the Folsom Group comes in, and what type of services do you provide to these co-op and condo boards?
1: Yeah, so what we do is we have a benchmark with – thousands of line items, or hundreds of line items, but for thousands of buildings, so a lot of line items. We compare their financial statements. And the more detailed the financial statements have, the better it is. We compare them, and then we find all the outliers. Then we know that they're so board members are volunteers. They don't have a lot of time. They have families, hobbies, and other things. They might be entrepreneurs themselves. So they don't really have time to do this volunteer job that they have signed up for. So we provide them with three to four different suggestions the first round. And we'll say, okay, so between these three to four items, let's say energy, water, and insurance, we think, and it's just an estimate, that we can save you $100,000 a year. And then they vote for it or against it, Mm -hmm. or they want more information. And then we provide them with solutions. We bring in vendors to provide, to get us proposals. We have a long list, a lot of energy uh, efficiency experts. They sell one particular product. We don't limit ourselves to that one product. We have maybe 20 different products that can be installed. Some are free, some are low cost, some are more expensive to install. And then we come up with a good solution for them. And then we actually project manage any uh, recommendations that we have done. So we don't only consult, then we also consult on getting it done. So making decisions and then making sure that it actually happens.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And and there's so many different, you know, when it, people don't realize like how many different vendors or different types of uh, uh, you know, providers come into whether it's, you know, whether it's a condo or or even an apartment building, you know, everything from yeah. you mentioned the energy efficiency to, you know, fire protection and safety services to just, uh, just the, you know, just generic stuff that people don't think about every day. And you come in and you not only help them find the best deal and save them money, but also see the execution through, which I think is great about what you guys provide. Uh, so in addition to this business, Tina, you are also an author. You wrote a book called <laughs> Living the High Life: How Smart Co-op and Condo Owners Protect Themselves and Their Investments. So tell me about this book. When did you write it and uh, what what led you to write it and how have listeners found success reading it?
1: Yes. Okay. So <laughs> how it all started was that my, one of my coaches said you need to be I need to see you on stages. I want you to be out speaking with everyone and everywhere uh, everywhere all the time and eventually become a pub uh, a, a, a paid speaker uh-huh. in that i needed to practice speaking because i was scared <laughs> I yes <laughs> so i joined a a um an improv class to and we speak once a, once a week we have an improv workout. Where we are a little foolish yes. and stuff. But and that group, they said, But if you're gonna do a TED talk, oh, and when my coach says to you I want to see you out speaking, she might have meant in front of a group of 50 people, but in my head, if you know anything about me, that's not how I work. <laughs> I'm thinking Yankee Stadium, yeah. TED Talk, etc. Yeah. So this group someone in that group said, Well, if you're gonna do a TED talk it's much more it's much better if you have a book already and I said I can write a book that's much easier than speaking <laughs> <laughs> so I started thinking about it and I started planning and I wrote up a, a, my book strategy how who I was going to write it for what it was going to be about and when in my timeline and etc etc so I wrote up my little strategy about how to write the book. And I started April 1st last year, 2020. And it took me uh 10 weeks to write, but then the editing takes a long time for the edit. I had an editor who helped us come up with a catchy title and to do a lot of the edits. So it launched in October last year, 2020.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And what it's about, what it's about, it's about, it's a guidebook for better co-op and condo living and board management.
0: That's great. Uh, Where can our listeners go to learn some more about the Folsom group or even to purchase your book?
1: Yeah. So you can purchase my book on Amazon and actually on our website, we have the first chapter that you can download for free. And we also have a workbook that goes with, with lots of templates You know, like policies and procedures, etc., that you can download, and that is also from our website. The website is www.thefolsongroup.com. I say that because a lot of people they think it's with an M, but we are not a prison. We are Folson, and you can also connect with me on LinkedIn, where I post daily and very active, and I frequently post tips and tricks for co-op and condo owners and board members so that they can get a lot of free advice there too.
0: Well, we love that. And uh, Tina, congratulations on the success of the Folsom group and uh, continued success moving forward.
1: Thank you very much, Scott. Thank you for having me.
0: For more information, listeners can visit the CG team website and follow Tina on LinkedIn for daily tips and tricks related to co-op and condo ownership and board management. In June, we were joined by Elisa Gelbard, the founder and CEO of Point Road Group, a women-owned branding firm. Elisa discussed her background and journey to becoming an entrepreneur, emphasizing her focus on executive branding and her advocacy for increasing women's representation in leadership roles. Let's give a listen. Elisa, before we get started about Point Road Group, I want to talk about your personal background. Uh, What were you doing what was your career like, everything that led you to becoming the founder and CEO of Point Road Group?
3: Sure. So, well, I called myself an accidental entrepreneur. So when, in terms of how I started the company. So my background's marketing and branding. And I was in the sports marketing, technology consulting, and biomedical research industries. And in those roles I held I always built and led teams and was often asked by other people in other departments kind of, you know, unofficially for advice on hiring and business development. It was never part of my job, but it was always a lot of fun. And at the same time, because I was hiring and involved in kind of helping people with business generation advice, friends and family would ask me for advice, you know, when they're looking for new roles or looking to excel in their current role. And whether it was resume help or networking, all of it was fun, and I, I never realized at the time that I was totally laying the groundwork for my company. And what happened was, when it got to the point where people I didn't know started reaching out to me for help, I was like, wait a minute, um, I think I should hang up a shingle and you know and just get paid to do this. So I did that simultaneously while I was you know while I held a, a corporate role, and business started to grow. And then I had to hire someone to help. And I think it was because I had a strategic approach to how people market themselves for professional success. But it got to a point where I was working two full-time jobs, never, you know, and and I realized that I had to give something up that it was, you know, was not sustainable for the long term. And I really loved helping the people part of things. So I flipped the switch and never looked back. And when I started Point Row Group, we focused just on executive branding. So, you know, job seekers, you know, resume, LinkedIn, bio's, Coaching, you know, career coaching, all that, and then we added board director branding um, as I became interested in the space, and then um, then the company evolved where people we worked with individually would say this was so helpful for me. Could you hum- come help my company? And then we kind of turned the tables and uh, and kind of flipped in terms what our focus was, and that's how we got to where we are today.
0: So, have you noticed a, a big difference between personal branding and a corporate branding?
3: So, good question. So, it's really the same principle. So, I always like to break it down to kind of branding 101. You know, think about who are you trying to reach? What's the message? What's going to resonate with them? Once you have that message, then you have to communicate it consistently because that's how brands, any kind of brand, you know, get stronger is that consistent communication of the right message to the right people. So, it's very, very similar.
0: Mm-hmm. So, let's talk about uh, from a company branding perspective how important are the employees as a part of that branding process?
3: They are so huge. And I think people don't realize how big of an, uh, of a role they play in a company's brand experience. Because think about it, like every touch point you have in terms of how you communicate or interact with a prospect, with a client, with a potential employee, that impacts what someone thinks about you and your company. So it's not just about you, you know, there's that association. So an individual behavior or habit or how they engage with others, you know, and that's virtually and in person can really have a big impact on business. So, you know, if you have a positive or a negative interaction, that influences trust and confidence in a relationship. And that will then in turn influence an opportunity and revenue, you know, whether it's like, You know, an email introduction for a business referral. If someone does that and you take a week to respond, it's not just about your slow response time. That's the way people will associate with that, that with the company brand and you'll lose an opportunity. So you and the company will lose the opportunity. How you treat maybe um, a prospect or a potential employee, you know, if you're distracted, especially in video, if you're distracted, you know, and not fully engaged and doing other things. You make people feel less important. And then so that, again, is that individual brand, that brand experience translates to the company brand experience, and people will feel not so important. They may look elsewhere. Or I guess the last example I can think of is, you know, if you have an account team and if they're always late for meetings with the client or they reschedule client meetings or move them all the time or they're not fully prepared, the client will then lose brand trust because of a person's behaviors. And then maybe because of that, they then don't go to the next stage in an engagement or, you know, renew a contract or um, or expand the business. So those are all just examples of where how an individual behavior actually plays a huge role um, in the company's brand and brand experience and ultimately on business.
0: And what else can happen if you're not on the same page? So if the company is conveying one message or, or one brand value and the employee is doing something different?
3: Yeah, that can be... <laughs> When things aren't in an alignment, that inconsistency creates a question in someone's mind, and that's that's where you're you're you know a sign trouble. So like if you have a leadership team or a sales team or someone in HR and they all talk about the company differently, that weakens the message. You know, one of the exercises we like to do with clients just to start is you know you sit around the table and whether it's you know maybe it's leadership or sales team, and just say okay, everybody talk you know describe the company, and you usually get a bunch of different responses that's going to weaken the brand message outwardly. So for example, we had a client who, they were an insurance company and they almost lost a really big new client and they got the feedback why. And what was that? Because during those initial business, you know, the the meetings to close the business, they had the people who were involved, you know, some talked about some of the certain um, kinds of products that they focused on. Others talked about different types of clients and they had this, the the prospect had this inc- you know inconsistent picture in their mind and they weren't sure if this was the right fit for them so getting everybody on the same page is really important same thing um if you know one of the things we see a lot and i'm sure you hear a lot is you know everybody's a customer first company and you know they they focus on we respond promptly to every client no matter who they are but in reality a lot of companies don't do that so when you think about the brand value of we put customers first well you see a lot of times where companies put, oh, if you're a big client, you get, you, you know, you're put first and you get the super fast response time. But if you're a smaller client, maybe, you know, oh, they require a lot of extra hand holding and they're not really big, you know, and maybe we take a couple of days to get back to them and we're not on top of things, then that can impact that business. So when they're, when that's the company's value is, you know, customers first and fast response, but then when people don't do that, then that can impact, you know, account growth, account retention. And so, you know, it's really, really critical to not just get everybody on the same page, you know, and say, okay, here's the message that you have to, that you should be communicating and here's our brand values that you should align with, but they have to understand why, you know, and and how it will not only help them be successful, but also help the company. So, you know, kind of giving the the larger picture and then kind of how habits and things that you can do. To improve that consistency, and
0: like, yeah. I guess some of the things that you mentioned, uh, the inconsistencies, are certainly red flags. Uh, but yeah. are there any other warning signs that could indicate that a company's brand is at risk?
3: Yeah. Oh, there's there's a lot, and but there's some quick, easy ones that you can look at. One is really simple. It's LinkedIn, and we see this all the time. So if someone, you know, you look at how um, how kind of the more visible people. Are represented on LinkedIn, so whether you know again, executive team, sales team, business development, HR, if they have weak profiles, then that can often show you know, okay, someone maybe doesn't care, take pride in their company, and you know, just on its own, yeah, okay, maybe they're not as visible, but think about the credibility that if you're referred, you know, if someone is referred to, let's say your firm, right? They're looking for, let's say, they're looking for a new accounting firm, and they're looking at, oh, who the who are the people? I know I have a meeting coming up, and they see you know, something that's outdated or careless, they're starting to do brand association. So, you know, and the same, it's also really critical. And I think increasingly so um, still with when you're looking for um, new employees, when they're looking at who are the people who I'd be working with, you know, that can have, that. that's an easy indication, so LinkedIn. Um, company messaging not being in alignment. I mean, the, the quick one we always recommend is look at how you describe your company on your website and look at the um, about section, on LinkedIn, if there's different and there is an inconsistency, that's a flag um, because then the chances are your you know, employees are talking about the company or writing about the company differently too. Um, and I'd say another one is like even cameras on, cameras off. That that's already giving you a quick indicator, especially if it's something um, external and you know that people have you know some people have their cameras off. That that's a that's a quick flag. We actually um we created a very quick brand consistency assessment. It's like a two and a half minute um, survey. And it helps you shed light on some of those key areas where your brand is at risk, risk, but they're also areas that are easy to fix. And you know, that's something I'm happy to share with anybody who's interested, but it's, I, I think people don't realize that they're obvious things and they're relatively easy to fix. I mean, obviously there, there are areas of our expertise, so I say easy, but you know, generally speaking, it's not a, you know, two year problem that takes forever. It's something that can be fixed relatively quickly.
0: Is that assessment something that's publicly available like on your website or or, or is that something that you provide for clients like in an, in, in an initial consultation?
3: Uh, that's something that we do provide to a prospect uh, or anybody who's interested, and I'm happy to share that with, with anybody. It's it's a nice, easy way to kind of see also very visually where, where you're at risk.
0: Love that. Uh, let's talk about some ways a business can improve their branding. Can you do that through the people that you have working for you?
3: Absolutely. Um, that's why we're in business, of course. And what you want to start with is, Assessing where you need improvement, you could do that through the assessment I mentioned or in other other ways, but we also even do deep dives when we're working with someone. but you you then once you figure out where those areas are that you need to improve, where you're at risk, then you know you develop a program to one by one um, address those areas and and really not just I think one of the problems that we see companies make often is they'll address a couple of parts of them, but not. Um, stay in touch and evaluate and monitor progress and reinforce until there's positive change that's what we do so which is where we found is a lot more effective when we first started doing this we didn't stay in as close touch so you know clients would make some progress but not the where the full success where they really needed for that positive long term change so we kind of adapted what we do and that, and we find that that's really helpful because if you can't change someone's habit or behavior overnight but if you kind of go with them through and make sure and reinforce, then you can you can certainly do that.
0: And of course, communication, both externally and internally, are important to your branding. You want to make sure that, you, as you mentioned, everyone's on the same page. But just communicating to your employees, that is really one of the most important steps.
3: Oh, my God. It, it's so, I, I think communications is really the most critical thing to business, both internally, you know, of course, how you manage your people and and build and maintain and grow your culture. And then, of course, externally and how your employees communicate with everybody, you know, any any stakeholder, a client, prospect, investor, talent, you know, you know, your referral partners. It's so, so important. And it's really, I think what impacts what people think, you know, that has the largest impact of of how people think about a company and whether it's Virtual communication, in person, you know, I think it's the seemingly smaller things that can tend to have a bigger impact. And you know, even when it's something like written, like of course, you know, I mentioned response time earlier, but you know, tone, follow up, who you even include in your in your messaging, you know, there there's so many different things. We we spend a lot of time with companies on kind of communication habits because you fall into these um, these habits that you don't realize aren't, you know, can weaken what you're doing. Even verbal communication, your word choice, your tone, your inflection, and in person when you're doing it, you know, your body language, your eye contact, all of those little things actually really go into effective communication. And communication is then, you know, the first reflection of a brand.
0: You mentioned earlier cameras on, cameras off uh, Mm. as a way to, you know, kind of assess uh, a company's brand or a personal brand. So Talk a little bit more about your professional presentation, both in person and virtually, and how important that is.
3: Sure, sure. Well, I mean, I think they're equally important. And, you know, focusing on one or the other is not what, you know, you got to focus on both. And people are, and of course, the world has changed. So a lot of people are working um, virtually or hybrid. And you have to pay close attention to that as if you were, you know, in the office, in a, in a, in an um in a meeting room, you know, wherever you are, everything matters. So people are visual, you know, how you walk into a room or what people see when you turn on your camera is such an important first impression. And you, you know, it doesn't take that much to do a great job, but it also doesn't take that much to do, you know, a not so great job. And then that becomes harder to undo. So really paying attention to how you're coming across virtually to people, you know, whether it's like, think of a meeting, you know, it's how you even lead or participate in something matters, you know, on video and in person. And that could be the difference in someone being turned off um, or, you know, a prospect being turned off or a a key new hire deciding, "Eh, I'm going to go, you know, somewhere else or a client not renewing a contract all because of your, your behaviors, both in person and virtually, you know, staying Engaged, being present, I think it's a lot easier to be distracted too when you're working virtually and showing that you are fully paying attention, um, respecting the person that you're with and making them feel like they're the most important, you know, person in the room virtually or, you know, or physically, I think is important. Same thing when you're leading presentations, you know, if you're, the, you're involved in, um, you know, the, the teams that are involved with generating new business and doing presentations in person or virtually, you're always representing your company and your company's brand as well as yourself. So your professional presentation, how you speak, what you look like, what you wear, all of, you know, where your eye contact and body language are, those are all critical, critical things.
0: You mentioned LinkedIn as well earlier. What are some tips or some methods that someone can use or a company can use to enhance their personal branding?
3: No oh boy, I could talk about LinkedIn forever. I <laughs> think um, okay. so. You know, I think when you want to think about if you're looking at your own profile, you know, does it represent who you are today and who your company is today? If someone looks at it, can looks at it, can they get a sense really of who you are, what you do, that kind of the value that you bring and what's unique to you, or is it just kind of the top lines, bare bones? I could barely figure out who this person is. You know, it should be current. Complete, you know, have accurate information and not have, gosh, forget about, you know, having, you know, typos and things. I just can't believe that people still have those, those, that that still happens now. But I think the the easiest way to sharpen your presence is to focus on just a few key sections, which would be your headshot. Does it look like who you are today? Is it professional? Does it reflect your level? Your headline, is it just your title and company, or does it actually give you a sense more about you know, that value that you bring? Your summary, same thing, looking at your story, who are you, um, and, um, and your experience, especially your current role. If someone's looking, you know, if someone's making an introduction, let's say they're introducing the two of us, and you go to look at my profile, and you just see a title at you know, at my company now, that doesn't really give you a sense of anything about me. So I think those are quick, easy places to start. They really will um, pretty easily increase your credibility and visibility just by focusing on those areas. And then if you want to take it a step further in terms of your LinkedIn presence, in terms of your brand, and then, of course, it helps the company's brand too, is um, engaging in content. So, you know, liking, commenting, posting, et cetera. Um, That really elevates your brand, but you really want to focus on your profile first and then go to the content engagement.
0: Let's talk more about Point Road Group. Uh, What kind of services do you offer for businesses uh, and other things about your company that we should know about?
3: Sure. So we're a unique branding firm and we help B2B companies deliver a positive, consistent brand experience through people like we've talked about. And clients come to us because both the company and its employees aren't really communicating the brand value the way they should be. So they see lower Prospect and customer engagement, you know, which of course we can sales and we we sharpen how employees really present themselves in person and virtually, so they're always demonstrating brand excellence. We do it through we have you know three step process where we do a pretty deep dive discovery, then we design a customized program that's very very importantly that's measurable. We're not one and done, so we monitor that progress. Um, We reinforce when we're doing the third step, which is delivery. Um, and we continue until there's positive change. And, you know, our goal is to change habits and behaviors um, over, you know, over time. And one of the characteristics of the a lot of the clients we work with is they're growing and they're they're um, bringing on new people. So our approach is not, you know, not just to come in and train who's there, because if we do that, that's great for everybody who's there. But what about people who join the company afterwards? So we have programs and, and um, touch points in- set up so when you add people that they also get the benefit of the work that we've done with the company and we also do speaking engagements and you know individual executive branding but um when we work across industries and but the key is really understanding where the company is going where they want to go where their problems are and understanding what their problems are and then designing a program where they're we're partnering with them uh, to help them really fix those problems and grow fast
0: and you're a fully remote company too. How, how do you support one another that way?
3: Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting one because we um we used to, you know, be in the office. We became remote during the pandemic and haven't looked back and what it's enabled us to expand our team, you know, across the US versus just being based in New York or across the country. We have um, you know, our our client work before the pandemic was partially virtual, so it wasn't a big adjustment. We still go on site for some clients, but you know, we um We do hybrid um, or virtual in-person, you know, we're happy to go anywhere and same with for our speaking engagements as a fully remote company, though, we make an extra effort to stay connected. So we of course have, you know, are tons of meetings, but we also have weekly uh, a weekly all hands meeting where we cover some work related things, but it's really just to stay connected and talk about literally anything. Um, And we do, you at least quarterly, if not more, um, bonding events, virtual events. Since we are all over the place, we do, you know, some people in certain regions will get together. Um, but you know, we really make that extra effort, and it does take an extra effort. And we have a cat, we have a camera on policy, so we see each other always. So you know, even if someone isn't in an ideal location or looking their best, we have you know totally no judgment zone, and it enables people to really um, stay connected and take a meeting if they're, you know, somewhere where that's less than optimal, but still be connected versus um, just be, you know, a black uh, rectangle. And we're a fully female team, which we're certainly proud of. Um, and as we've grown, we've been able to um, stay that way. So that's, that's an exciting part of the business
0: too. I love that. Uh, where can our listeners go to learn more about Point Road Group and to reach out to you personally?
3: They can go to our website at pointroadgroup.com. And they can also check us out on LinkedIn. So we're on our, it's uh, linkedin.com slash company slash point road group. And they can certainly reach out to me too on LinkedIn.
0: Alisa, great stuff. Thank you so much for your time and uh, the information about Point Road Group. And I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of it because I know I did.
3: Wonderful. Thanks for having me.
0: And again, you can go get more information on Point Road Group's website, pointroadgroup.com and LinkedIn page, or reach out to Elisa on LinkedIn. Next, we go back to March when Janet Falk, a guest with over 30 years of experience in public relations and marketing communications, joined our show. Janet specializes in advising business owners, attorneys, and consultants on client acquisition, news coverage, and revenue growth. The focus of my conversation with Janet was her step-by-step guide for creating and monitoring a marketing RBI, like in baseball, runs batted in. Janet, thank you so much for joining us here on the CG Business Advisor.
2: My pleasure to be here, Scott. I'm so excited to talk to you.
0: I want to learn a little bit about yourself before we talk about uh, your company and what you provide for your clients. So tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into, you know, communications, research, everything that you do for your clients as far as PR and things like that.
2: I have an eclectic background. If you look at my website, you'll see my logo is an octagon and embedded in the octagon is the letter F for my name, Falk. And why an octagon? Because I'm not a round peg, I'm not a square peg, I'm an octagonal peg. I have experience in higher education, Wall Street, law services and nonprofits. So you can imagine that I work with a very diverse client base and I bring to bear the experiences that I've had working with individual clients in order to serve each one. My goal is to help the client identify who is their target market and what does their target market care about and how can they be in front of that market in the places where that person, whether it's an individual or a business owner or a corporate executive, where that person is looking for information and resources. And I use a variety of strategies and platforms to do it And that's what we're here to talk about today.
0: When did you start Falk Communication and Research?
2: Well, As a going concern, uh, this started in January of 2009. But in the public relations and marketing communications field, there are a lot of hiccups along the road. And so from time to time, you get laid off due to budget cut or client reorganization or corporate reorganization and so on. So I've been working on and off. as an independent for a number of years but this most recent go-around started in 2009 so you can see i've been at it for quite some time
0: one thing that i love about your approach to this is how you uh you relate it to relatable topics there's different analogies and one of them that i love personally is the baseball analogy of everything (laughs) that you provide for your clients so how did you Think about that and what led you to even morphing the two concepts.
2: Okay. I was looking for an acronym or a theme that would encapsulate three ideas. One is activity. The second is productivity. And the third is profit. So I came up with the baseball theme and RBI because RBI is something, even if you're not a baseball fan, and I'm not a particularly a baseball fan, but everybody knows what RBI means, runs batted in. And how do you get runs batted in? And why do you need runs batted in? Well, you get them by stepping up to the plate and swinging away. And when you do bat in those runs, then you win the ball game. So that's how I came up with the idea. I wanted an, a vision or an image or, or an acronym that would encapsulate activity, productivity, and profitability, so that's how I did it.
0: I love it, and so each step along the way is, I would assume, geared towards achieving one of those specific goals, right? Right, right. So let's let's start from the beginning, what's step one?
2: Okay, so the first step is networking. Networking is the best way for you to develop new business contacts, referral sources, and attract potential clients. Now, many people think that networking is going into a crowded room where you hardly know anybody else and having these dumb conversations where <laughs> you try to be interesting and not too salesy and exchange business cards. And that is a part of networking and you know, like it or not, we all do it. But there are other ways to look at networking. So for example, The other day, one of my clients is organizing a conference, and one of the panelists dropped out. And this is on the very obscure topic of finance and art, jewelry, wine, and so on, investing in unusual asset classes. Now, how are they going to find somebody who does that? Well, I happen to know two attorneys who work in the art market. I know an art appraiser who works in the art market. And I know someone who works with insurance companies in the art market. So I reached out to these contacts. And sure enough, I came back with renames of women who are involved in investing in art. And two of them actually run funds that invest in art. So look at what I did, I tapped into my network, and I was able to develop ideas and contacts for my client, right? And that's not going into a room, that is using my contacts within my network. So i give you another example, Um, I'm on a listserv and someone says, does anyone know a Latina web developer? I do. So I put the name of my Latina web developer contact on the listserv. I sent it directly to the person who requested the information. And then I followed up with the web developer. And I said, your name came to mind when someone was looking for a Latina web developer. And here's the person that I contacted. And both of them thanked me. (laughs) I don't know if they're going to do business or not, but wouldn't you call that networking
0: you Absolutely.
2: contacts and you introduce them to each other. So one more thing, and this is a little bit different. What if I had arranged a conversation between the person who needed the web developer and the web developer itself, and I sat into that conversation? That's what I call networking squared. So the two contacts get to know each other, and you, you look brilliant to the both of them, <laughs> and you get to learn what's new and exciting about what they're doing in their businesses. So think of networking not only as going into a room where you hardly know anyone, but also as introducing the people in your network to each other for a networking squared conversation and referring the people in your network to others who are looking for resources and information.
0: That's my favorite aspect of networking. And yes, we've all done those events where you know you're you're like you said, you're in a room where you don't know anybody and you're handing out business cards and whatnot. we've all been there. but my favorite part of networking is just yeah, putting people in touch with each other. I know somebody, you know somebody, they can help each other. Let's put them in touch. It's just it to me, that's how a network grows beyond just I don't I don't want to call it cold calling, but just talking to somebody that you're meeting for the first time, in a, in a party-like atmosphere or in, in any social atmosphere, even whether it's on the golf course or anywhere else. I, I love just putting people in touch with each other. It, it's great. And you call that first step getting on base, correct?
3: Right,
2: right. And, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but, Scott, how did I get connected to you, right? I met someone named mm-hmm. Michael Oakler, who is a member of a networking group that I visited. We had a separate conversation, He introduced me to a member of the CG team and they introduced me to you. Here we are.
0: Exactly. Yes. And now we're on base. So the next step, here's the pitch. What does that mean?
2: Okay. So that means speaking. That means speaking, whether it's here on a podcast or at a conference or on a webinar that you can organize yourself or you could be invited to speak. So there are different ways that you can be speaking and sharing your insights, up to the minute information and trends that people need to know more about. Because if they only knew what Janet and Scott know, they would save time, save money and make more money. So speaking can take a variety of formats, whether it's a conference or an event you organize yourself or or a podcast.
0: Do you have to be careful to not sound, I mean, you mentioned it before, not sound too salesy?
2: You have to know your audience. You have to know what is your audience looking to hear and how can you persuade them of a couple of things. One, that you know their problem.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Two, you can solve their problem because you've solved it before. And three, you can make them look good to the person who cares about the problem because they might be the business owner themselves So in in other words, you don't have to do anything further, but they might report to somebody else. So you want that person to look smart by working with you to achieve these goals. You have to understand Mm -hmm. what is the point of pain or the problem that your audience is facing and how can you show them that one, you understand it, two, you've solved that before, and three, you can help them and make them look good to the next person that cares about it.
0: What about the next step, keeping the box score?
2: Right, that's writing. And there are writing platforms that you can use. For example, I have a monthly newsletter and I have two varieties of my newsletter. One goes to the general public and the other goes to attorneys. Just as a secret, the attorney one is very similar to the general public. I just, <laughs> just put a few references in there so that they'll think it's specific to them. So a monthly newsletter is one way of writing. You can also publish articles. So I belong to a women's professional networking group. It's called Women Owned Law. It's for women who are attorneys, who are a partner at a firm or who have a firm or who have a solo practice, and for women-owned businesses like myself who serve the legal market. And every couple of months, I publish an article in their monthly newsletter. So here I am speaking to several hundred women who are members of this association, and it's not my newsletter. It's another organization's newsletter, but I look smart because I'm sharing what I know to the group. Uh, another way of writing is to be um, writing articles on blog posts, whether they're your own blog post or sometimes you can be a guest who posts on somebody else's blog. And another way of writing is publishing in an industry publication. So I used to write for the New York Law Journal, the New Jersey Law Journal, and marketing the law firm, all because I was trying to get in touch with more attorneys. So I was publishing in the places that they would read. So writing can be your own publication on a newsletter or a blog. You can be guesting on someone else's blog. Or you can be writing for another organization, whether it's, you know, a commercial organization like the Law Journal or it's a membership organization like Women on the Law.
0: And I guess that leads us into our next step, because you you talk about, you know, whether you're participating in writing and and getting your voice out there uh, into your market or your target audience. So how does this apply to rooting for the home team and joining a trade association?
2: Right. So let's say that you're an accountant and you deal with small business owners, especially retailers. Right. Then you would want to be active in the local trade association, which is the Chamber of Commerce. Mm -hmm. It could be a merchant's association like a business improvement development group or an economic development group. And you would be active in this group in a couple of ways. One is, of course, you would go to their events, right? Because you're going to meet potential clients and you're also going to meet referral sources by socializing and exchanging conversation and networking with these people. Then another thing that you can do is you can offer to speak to the group or to organize a panel and moderate a group. And when you do that, it's always a good idea to put a client up there and also to put up there uh, an officer of the organization, right? So it makes the organization look smart. It makes the client look smart. And it makes you look smart because you're moderating the panel and moving the discussion forward. You can also think about how you could contribute to that organization's newsletter, as I mentioned. Yeah. And if you are an accountant, say, you might want to offer to um, you know, help them with some Difficult accounting issue that they might be dealing with as an organization, you know, either on a pro bono basis or on a reduced fee basis, you know, depending on the ethics involved. I'm not sure what they are, but I'm sure there are some ethical considerations there. So there are ways that you can be active and promoting the organization and promoting your involvement, sharing your background and your professional experience.
0: So how do you cover all the bases, which is your your fifth step?
2: Right. So that means promote everything that you do online. So if you're going to a networking event, then before you go to the event, you post, I'm going to the networking event of the Downtown Merchants Association on Thursday, February, such and such. Looking forward to meet, and then you put an at symbol in front of Scott Seidenberg, and Danielle Berczynski, and Janet Volk. And you post that on LinkedIn, or you post that on Twitter, and then what will happen is, when you have named the organization, when you have included a link to register for the event, then you are promoting yourself as an active member, and you are promoting the organization. And since it's on LinkedIn, where people are looking for information, anyone who's connected to Scott and Danielle is gonna see that this event is coming up and they're gonna be in attendance and maybe they should be attending too. So one thing that you can do is when you're networking and engaged in events, then you know post in advance. Then after the event, of course, you took a selfie of yourself mm-hmm. with the president of the organization and somebody else, and you can say, Great discussion at the Downtown Merchants Association where I met President Scott Seidenberg and we talked about whatever it was, what were the topics of discussion and so I'm Looking forward to the next meeting. Okay. So you post before the meeting and you post after the meeting. That's how you promote your networking. What do you think about speaking? Same idea. Before you speak, you say, I'm gonna be talking to the Downtown Merchants Association about topic one, topic two, topic three. And then you will drive attendance to that event. And people who are members of the organization will think, oh, Jennifer Falk is speaking. I ought to go to that event. Or Jennifer Falk is speaking. I don't know her, but I am interested in these topics. So I'm going to check out her website and see what it is that she does. And then I'll decide whether or not I want to go to the event. Or someone will say, Chen Folk is speaking at the Downtown Merchants Association. I can't go that night because I have another obligation. But you know what? I should invite her to come and speak to my company or my group because I know that she's a good speaker. So you can see how promoting what you do online with speaking can be very helpful. And the same goes for your activity writing. Anytime you publish an article, You can post and share the link so that you will be driving people to read that information. So I think you can see, Scott, how these all work together as part of your marketing RBI. What I do is every Thursday, I go through the week and I think, did I do some networking? Well, yes, because I told you about the experience I had with people looking for a speaker on art and finance. And I told you how I connected the Latina web designer. So I did some networking. Did I do some speaking? Yes, because I'm speaking on this podcast. Did I do some writing? Yes, I'm working on an article for the industry newsletter of the Women on Law that I that I mentioned. And did I promote all of this activity online? Yes, I'm doing that as well. So I hit it out of the park this week. But if I didn't hit it out of the park on Thursday, I still have Friday. So I get one
0: more swing. I absolutely love that. And and as someone that's in the content business, repurposing content is so important because you're doing all this work, you're doing this great work and you're putting something creative out in 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 a space. Maximize that. Put it in multiple locations. You know, get it, it repurpose it. Like you mentioned, if you're putting your stuff on social media, whether it's LinkedIn or any other uh, online area, and you're putting your writing out there, put it on another site uh, in, a, in a month from now, post it again and say, Hey, last month I did this and just find different ways to repurpose the same type of great content because you're putting in the work. You might as well get the bang for your buck on, on your, uh, on your investment here. How can our listeners get in touch with you for more information or to get a hold of your ebook?
2: Okay. My website is Janet, J-A-N-E-T, L for love, L-F-A-L-K, Janet L-F-A-L-K.com. And I have a lot of resources on my website, Scott. Not only this ebook for Create and Monitor Your Marketing RBI, which I sell for $9.99, but I also have the monthly newsletter. All my newsletters are on my website. So you can read those, you can read articles that I've written, you can listen to podcasts where I've appeared, and you can read my tip sheets where I often take ideas from several different newsletters and make them all available on one single tip sheet so that you'll be able to look them up. And I have samples of press releases and a lot of material available for free. So JanetLFalk.com. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn, but you must personalize the invitation.
0: Well, Janet, you definitely did hit a home run, and I'm sure you'll be moving up most of our listeners' lineups. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast.
2: It's been my pleasure, Scott. Thank you for having me.
0: That episode definitely provided some practical insights and actionable steps for individuals looking to enhance their marketing strategies and grow their businesses. What a year it's been for the CG Business Advisor. And again, we could not have done it without you, the listener. So please follow the podcast on your podcast apps. Make sure you click the follow button so you never miss a new episode. And of course, you can find out more information about us and about our guests on our website, cgteam.com. For all of us here at the podcast and CG Tax Audit and Advisory, we want to wish you a happy, healthy and safe holiday season. And we'll talk to you in 2024 where we have some special new features coming your way. That's right, keep it locked right here to the CG Business Advisor.